Many of you know the, the reigning champions of the NBA, the National Basketball Association, are the Golden State Warriors. You guys know who the Golden State Warriors are? They really are like our like closest basketball team. I guess the Kings and the Warriors, they're, it's about the same distance, but we could say they're our, our home team, even though it's 250 miles away. So the Golden State Warriors... You know, they kind of have a dynasty going. They've won three out of the last four championships, and they're the favorites to win the title again this year. And, and when you watch the Warriors play basketball, even if you don't know that much about basketball, you can see that they seem to be having a lot of fun, that they're enjoying it, and, and you can get caught up in their, in their style of play because they shoot a lot of three-pointers, they're really fast and they can just score like 20 points in two minutes, and you're just like, I, I can't believe how, how skilled they are and how quick they are and how, how fun it is to watch them. They kind of play with a sense of, of joy. And so you know if you've been following along this season, uh, they have experienced some injuries and some, some conflict within their team. They had to suspend one of, their, one of their star players because he got in an argument with one of the other players and it became like this public thing. Um, and, and they're still winning most of the time. And it, it just it feels like their fun brand of basketball, it's, it's just a little bit harder to come by. It's, they seem like they're... they're they're white-knuckling a little bit, they're pushing a little bit, like we're still the best team, but we're not having as much fun as we were before. You could say that joy has been difficult for them to find. And in a recent article on ESPN, uh, the writer Nick Friedel, he was interviewing several of the players on the Warriors, asking them of this question about their joy. And, and they're, they're looking for joy, and they're trying to re- regain it as a team together. And one of the players, Clay Thompson, who was not known for being very, um, he doesn't talk a whole lot, he said simply, had it, lost it. <laughs> Talking about joy, we had it, and we lost it. And, and I think, you know, it's four words, had it, lost it, but I think they really speak to the elusive nature of joy, Joy is it's hard to find and it's hard to keep, um, but it's something, even though it's difficult to find it and it's difficult to keep it, it's something that we are constantly looking for. Uh, the writer Blaise Pascal, he was actually a mathematical genius, but he also uh, wrote some, some really powerful things. He died in 1662. This guy had lived a long time ago, 350 years ago. Uh, he says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. That's what it means by all. All men, all people seek happiness. We're all seeking joy. This is without exception. And I, I agree with, with Mr. Pascal, that we, we all want joy and we're constantly on the hunt for it in some way or another. Uh, the writer Flannery O'Connor, she called it stalking joy. She imagined herself like a, like a big cat in the, in the grass looking for joy, hunting for joy, stalking it like prey. And so that, I, that idea of looking for joy in that way, it gives us a, a sense of alertness, like we're, we're looking around, we're, we're on the hunt, 
That, that it's not just something we're waiting for it to show up, but we are pursuing it. We're going after joy. And I think that that alertness, that watchfulness, it fits so well within the theme of Advent because the season of Advent is supposed to help us watch and wait to be alert and ready for Jesus' return, for his second coming. And, and we've been walking through this season of Advent, trying to connect Christmas, Jesus' first coming, to his second coming, which is in the future. It has not happened yet. And, and even though Jesus, see, he spent so much time talking about looking ahead, being ready. Many of his parables talked about this. Uh, for what is to come when the master returns. He, had, he spoke a lot about it, but, but we don't spend a lot of time talking about Jesus' second coming, and if we do, it's usually pretty weird. <laughs> so, so I know for my own Christian journey and discipleship, I just kind of stayed away from talking about the second coming because it's mysterious. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of language that's confusing and revelation, and you just go, you know what, um, I'll, I'll study that at some point. I'll take a look at that at some point. But it's not something that we consider a whole lot. But, but the season of Advent is actually, uh, it's, it's been established to help us think about Jesus' return, to, to have hope and to have expectancy, to not just remember what happened, but what is going to happen, what is to come, because there's more to come. So in the first week, we, we talked about Jesus' call to watch and to wait with expectancy and with hope. And the second week, last week, we talked about waiting and watching expectantly for the kingdom of God to come. It has come and it will come. And then this week we are talking about watching and waiting for joy. And, and when we talk about joy, when we talk about anything like this, a theme you have to say, well, what is it? What is joy? And you can define it in a lot of ways. But joy is primarily an emotion. It's something that we feel. It's something that can be expressed in happiness and pleasure. Uh, when, you're, when you're feeling joy, you talk faster, you talk louder, you might um, express it through jumping or shouting. Jumping for joy, right? That's an expression that we have. I don't jump a whole lot for joy. I don't jump a whole lot in general, but it just gives you an idea of, right, of that physical expression of an emotion that you are feeling. Uh, another way you could think about joy is in the Pixar movie Inside Out. You guys have seen Inside Out maybe, right? Joy is a character. She's sort of like Tinkerbell on, on steroids, just super happy. She always wants, wants her, uh, her kid Riley to be happy. She lives. Uh, you have to watch Inside Out. I'm not going to try to explain it to you, but um, she's awesome. Joy is Awesome. So, so when you have a definition of joy as an emotion of happiness or pleasure, or you have a personification of that in a character, in a cartoon, we can say, okay, I understand what you're talking about, and sometimes I feel like that, yes, but most of the time I don't. Probably, I don't know, if you were going to put a percentage on it, what would you say, what percentage of your emotions are joyful 
it's probably pretty low. Like, you know, maybe it's 20%, 25% Eeyore's at like 5% joy maybe. Um, and I don't even know what joy looks like for him. But, but we can say there are lots of times in our lives where we feel more like Clay Thompson and the Warriors. Had it, lost it, joy. And, and we recognize, we have to recognize that when we're hunting for joy, when we're looking for joy, we're doing that in the midst of a world that is carrying a lot of pain, a lot of sadness, a lot of sickness, and, and things that we say, there's no joy whatsoever in those things. So we can say, I've experienced joy in the past, and I hope that I will experience it again in the future. In fact, I'm looking for it all the time. And as followers of Jesus, we, we believe, we trust that we will one day rejoice. But the question for us is, well, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in between Jesus' first coming and, and the expectant joy of his second coming? What do we do now? What should we expect as we watch and wait for joy as we follow Jesus? So, so we're going to be in John chapter 16, and this is a moment where Jesus is teaching his disciples about what to expect when they are in a moment of tension, of, of being in between. And, and he says that we need to expect mystery, we need to expect sorrow, and finally we need to expect joy. So John chapter 16, we're going to read verses 16 through 24. It's on page 902 if you're using one of the Bibles on the table back there. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. A little while, Jesus says to his disciples, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. This is God's word. Let's pray once more. Father, we are hunting for joy today, even, uh, even as we've come here, 
we have a hope and an expectancy that, that we will find joy. And, and maybe it's not even for the right reasons. Maybe we came today looking for, for something other than you. Maybe we don't know even how to explain that. But we are here now, and we ask Jesus that, you, uh, that we would find our joy in you and that we would learn how to wait and watch for your return, and that, that we could somehow, through your word, by your Holy Spirit, learn how to live joyful lives as we wait for you to come once more, even as we walk through difficulty, even as we walk through sorrow, even as we don't fully understand what it is that you are doing in our lives as you lead us. But we pray for joy today. By the power of the Holy Spirit, in your name we pray, Jesus, amen. All right, well, first of all, we have to set the stage here a little bit, trying to sort my notes out here. In uh, what's, what's going on in this particular moment where Jesus is talking to his disciples? So in John 16, we're kind of dropping in on... Um, Jesus and his disciples, uh, you, you might see if you read John chapters 12 through 16, it's really kind of one big chunk of Jesus teaching his disciples right before he's going to be arrested and before he's going to be crucified. So we need to know that, that in this moment he is preparing his disciples for his death and his resurrection. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer because he's going to die. And then he says, and again a little while, and you will see me. So, so uh, in, in the next several verses, we sense the confusion of the disciples. What is he talking about? What does he mean? Is he saying this? And verse 18 sums it up really nicely. We do not know what he is talking about. Do you ever, you ever read the Bible and you go, I don't know what he is Talking about. So um, the disciples don't know what Jesus is talking about because they don't have a, a category for, um, for, for the Messiah or God's rescuer going away, like he's talking about, or, or dying. They did have a category for God's victory, right? For a triumphant Messiah, but they could not imagine that. God's victory would come through the suffering and the humiliation of the cross. And, and then there's just, you know, aside from their categories that they had, the way that they read the Old Testament, Jesus, the way he says this is kind of confusing a little bit. And, and Jesus does that sometimes. He says things in a way that aren't immediately obvious. So, so Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection. If that's the case, what does it have to do with us today and, and with the season of Advent? How do we, we kind of connect the dots there? And so, so, so here's, here's something that you need to understand about reading the Bible, reading God's Word, is that sometimes it's talking about a specific event that we can also translate into our present day circumstances. So, so we could say if Jesus is talking to his disciples— we can sense in many ways that he's also talking to us. Now, you have to be wise. 
You know, you have to be thoughtful. You can't apply every single thing in the Bible, like there's verses that talk about a woman driving a peg through a man's head. Like, don't ever do that, okay? So, like, that doesn't apply to you, okay? <laughs> so, so but, but this, I think, here in John chapter 16, we can read these verses, this moment where Jesus is talking to his disciples about a specific event with specific people, we can still say, there is something here for us to learn. There's something here for us that will benefit us in our search for joy. They, uh, these things apply well to our experience as disciples of Jesus. So, so in other places in the Bible, in the, in the Gospels, Jesus talks about, uh, he says, I'm going to go away and I'm going to come again in his second coming. He's not talking about his resurrection. He's talking about when he will come again, even right before this in, the, in John's gospel. So he speaks of an absence and a return after that absence. So I think we could also say, okay, Jesus makes this promise. It can lead to confusion and questions, not just for the disciples, but for us as well. Okay, Jesus, he's here, he's come, but he's left, and he's going to come again. That leads to a lot of questions for us. So like I was mentioning earlier, you read the book of Revelation, and you're like, it's not immediately clear to me what's happening here. Or you read the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, and it speaks about the, the Son of Man coming again, and, and the day of the Lord, and all these things, and it's like, there is, there is a lot of strange things happening uh, in, these, uh, in these passages. So the, we don't have categories for everything in the Bible when it's talking about the second coming. So we can say Jesus, his second coming, there's some mystery involved in the sense that we don't fully understand what it will be like. And, and even though a bunch of uh, jokers, <laughs> they keep trying to predict when Jesus' second coming is going to happen, we don't know when that's going to happen either, and Jesus told us that, so I don't know why we keep spending so much time trying to figure out the actual day, because Jesus said, you won't know the day. <laughs> so so we, can, we can stop doing that. There's going to be some mystery about when Jesus is going to come again. And I think when, when we think about the idea of mystery, um, I think we like them to be short and well-defined. Um, I think that's why people like watching CSI, right? Do you guys, who likes CSI? All right. We don't have enough older people in our church. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was a low blow. Um, <laughs> CSI, or there's a whole bunch of variations of these shows, right? So, so it starts out with an unsolved crime, a mystery, uh, and then by the end of the show, the, the crime has been solved, the criminal has been caught, and justice has been served. And what's that dude, David, what's his name? Puts his sunglasses on and walks away. You guys don't know what I'm talking about. What is his name? Yeah. I probably should have done my research, but uh, I don't watch CSI. Okay, so... <laughs> So, but the, the, the beauty or the, the attraction of those shows is that in a short span of time, the mystery has been 
resolved. But we know that real life is not so neat and tidy, okay? There are aspects of our lives, the things that we've experienced and walked through that still do not make any sense to us, even years later. They are still mysterious to us. And, and I don't know about you, but I don't like those kinds of mysteries very much. They, they might be fun for a little while, but at some point, I want to figure out what the heck is going on. What is going on? And, and if I don't get an answer, if you don't get an answer to those mysteries, to those questions that we have, what can happen? We can feel fear. We can feel anxiety. We can be frustrated. We can be angry. We can, we can be resentful toward other people and ultimately towards God. And, and we can pray, God, can't you help me see why this is happening? Sometimes it's not enough to believe that everything happens for a reason. We want to know what the reason is. Why does this happen? And this is one of the hard things about following Jesus, is that there will be lots of times when we will not get that answer. It might happen at some point where we'll have a greater understanding of what, what that trial was that we walked through, that difficult season of our lives, but, but our life is not a CSI episode. We're not going to get that last five minutes of the show that wraps it all up and ties it all together for us so often. But here is where I think we can live in the tension of mystery is that the biggest question that we have, the biggest mystery has already been revealed to us. It's already been explained to us. And, and if you know the New Testament at all, you know that many times in, in the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters, that Jesus is called He's, he is the mystery of God. He's the one who, who was what we did not know that the angels and the prophets were looking forward to, but he has been revealed. Jesus has come as God in the flesh. And so when Jesus comes in his first coming, he is the greatest mystery in the universe revealed to us. In Jesus, God has rescued us from our sin. We've been reconciled together with God through Jesus. The biggest question, the biggest mystery in our lives is what, what does God think of me? How do I relate to God? We might ask that question in a whole bunch of different ways, but ultimately we know in Jesus, God loves me. God accepts me. God receives me. And this is what God is like. Look at Jesus. Look at who he is. Look at what he has done. So we can expect mystery as we follow Jesus. We don't know why everything happens in the way that it does, but we can trust, we can know, we can be confident that God is leading us in a way that is for our good and for God's glory. And why can we have that confidence? Because 
Jesus came into the world once, and we believe that he will come again, and he will answer our questions. He will explain all the things that we wonder about. And so if we have that trust, if we have that faith, we can actually experience joy without knowing all the answers to every question that we have, even as we wait. So we can expect mystery, but we can experience joy in that mystery by trusting and believing in who God is through Jesus. All right, so after Jesus tells his disciples to expect some mystery, he continues by saying that they should also expect sorrow. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful. On to verse 22, so also you have sorrow now. Again, Jesus is speaking specifically here of his death. You will weep, you will lament, while the people who put me to death, they will be celebrating, they will be glad. But again, we can take what Jesus says to his disciples here and we can connect it to our own experiences as Jesus' disciples today. We are not immune to the hurts and the pains of this world. Just a little bit further in John chapter 16, we hear Jesus say, in the world, you will have tribulation. And this isn't just a theological truth, right? This is our experience. We've been going through the book of Acts, right, over the past several months as a church. What have we seen happen to Christians in the book of Acts? They've been persecuted, They have been imprisoned. They have been kicked out of their homes. They've been separated from their families. They have been murdered, some of them. And even beyond religious persecution, we can look around the normal experience of living in a world that has been shattered by sin, natural, man-made disasters, sickness, accidents, Uh, relational conflict, there's addiction, there's racism, there's exploitation, there's pollution, there's death, right? And that's just a short list. And we could say these are all hard things. They are all things that bring us sorrow. They are difficult, and yet they are things that Jesus told us to expect. Tim Keller uh, is a pastor that I've referenced many times. He's a, a pastor and an author from New York. And he says that, that when we become a Christian, we actually become more sorrowful. We actually, like our sadness can actually increase. And, and that sounds a little bit strange, right? I thought we were supposed to be joyful. I thought we were supposed to be happy. What does, what does he mean when he says that we become more sorrowful? And, and his explanation of that is when we believe the gospel, right? We believe that, that God in the flesh, Jesus came, that he lived a perfect life, that he gave himself on the cross for us, and that he raised from death in victory, and that we put our faith in who Jesus is and what he's done, that we, we are given what the Bible calls a, a new heart or a, a heart of flesh, so, so we could say, when we believe the gospel, when God saves us, he takes our cold, dead, hard heart, 
or what the Old Testament calls a heart of stone, and he gives us a heart of flesh. He gives us a new, tender, sensitive heart. And so with our new, tender hearts, we can honestly acknowledge, we can look around and say, this stuff is here. It exists. These sorrowful, sad, painful things, they do exist, and they're the result of sin, right? They're the result of the brokenness of the world. Things are not the way they should be because of the curse of sin. Jesus did this often. Think about Jesus. He was called the man of sorrows. He wept over the hardness of the city in Jerusalem. He wept over the death of his friend Lazarus. Jesus knows our sorrow. He he experienced it. He walked through it as well. And so when we follow Jesus, when we are walking with him as his disciples, it frees us from pretending to be happy all the time. It frees us from an illusion of a pain-free life. If you want a pain-free life, Jesus is, is not the way for you, right? We're going to experience sorrow. So we don't have to act like we are happy all the time. We don't have to pretend that, that things are always good. Things are always fine. We can, we can express how we are actually feeling. We can pour out our sorrows to God and we can pour them out to one another. And, and that's part of what our longest night service on Friday is is meant to do, is to say, here's, here's an avenue, here's a venue for us to pour out our sadness and our sorrows about the brokenness in our own life and the brokenness in the world before God. So when we follow Jesus, we can expect mystery and we can expect sorrow, but we are not left in a place of confusion and sadness Because the final thing in this passage that Jesus tells us that we can expect is joy. He says in verse 20, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born in the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice And no one will take your joy from you. The last word that Jesus gives his disciples here and that he's giving to us is one of overcoming joy. Joy that overcomes our sorrow. There is mystery. There is sorrow within the Christian life, within walking with Jesus. But Jesus says those things can be overcome by the joy that we have in him. And not just for what is to come, but even in our daily experience. He says our sorrow will be turned or changed or transformed into joy. And he uses this picture of a, a mother who has, who has had a baby. She's gone through childbirth. And, and obviously I've not gone through this firsthand, but I've been in the room Right? And, and many of you can relate to this as mothers. The pain of labor, it gets washed away in this wave of joy. And that's why 
it's such an emotional moment. If you've been in the room, you see it happen, you know, big burly guys who haven't cried since they were like seven, they're just blubbering like a baby. And I'm not talking about myself because I've cried a lot, so that's not that abnormal. But, uh, but you, you just like, oh, it's an incredible wave of joy and excitement and newness of life, and it's just incredible. It doesn't mean that the pain is gone, right? The a, a woman's body can take months to heal after after childbirth. It it can leave. Uh, it could be a woman's body can be permanently changed because of childbirth. But in that moment, even though the pain is still there, the primary emotion is joy and excitement and gladness and delight. And in picturing, it, it's this, this picture that Jesus is giving us that, that sorrow is temporary and joy is eternal, a joy that cannot be taken away. Tim Keller says, sorrow is always, always a temporary condition for a, con- a Christian. Joy is a permanent condition. Sorrow is always a temporary condition for a Christian. Joy is a permanent condition. And this is the language of Jesus. This is the the storyline of the Bible. After the long night, the dawn comes, right? After death comes resurrection. After Good Friday comes Easter. After sorrow comes joy. And the kind of joy that Jesus is talking about, the kind of joy that we can experience as disciples of Jesus. It's not elusive. It's not fleeting. It's not just like a shadow or a butterfly that we're chasing around. Jesus says, the joy that you can have in me is a foundational joy. It's a rooted kind of joy. It's a confidence that you can have that doesn't waver and it doesn't, it doesn't get shaken or torn down because of the circumstances that you are walking through. Why is that? Because he's going to come again. We, we believe that's going to happen. So, so Jesus says, I'm going to come again. I'm going to set all things right. And the things that are not as they should be will one day be as they should be. And I think that's the beauty of, of Christmas, is remembering Jesus has come, and he did exactly what he came to do, and he's going to come again. Christmas doesn't just speak to the past, what has already occurred. It speaks to what will happen in the future. Yes, Jesus was born. Yes, he lived a perfect life. Yes, he was crucified. Yes, he was raised from the dead, and all of that is cause for joy. That can bring us joy, but that's not everything. That's not all that he's going to do. He's going to return, and when he returns, when he comes again, all of our sorrows will be turned to joy. All of our questions will be answered, and in looking ahead to that glorious day, we can say, I, I can have joy in my day today. I can have joy in the circumstance that I'm 
going through, even in the middle of a world and a circumstance that is not as it should be. You've all heard of the song about somebody who's so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. This is, this is teaching us. Jesus is teaching us. It's through looking to what is to come that we can actually have joy. So we will be a lot of earthly good if we're finding our joy and trusting in Jesus. But the, the last question is, okay, all that theologically true, believe it, but how can I have joy now? How can I, how can I have joy today, tomorrow, the next day? when I'm going through difficult things. We, we can say, okay, the gospel tells us that we've been reconciled to God through, through Jesus. There's nothing that can separate us from him. Our joy is eternal, and it's something that he has done for us. It's not something we did for ourselves. He says on the cross, it is finished. So, so even without doing what we should do, Jesus has done it for us. And so the gospel, remembering the gospel, rehearsing the gospel, proclaiming the gospel to one another, that can actually bring joy into your life. When the power went out at my house this morning, I was super irritated, and I was trying to figure out what to do. But I am eternally loved by God, and and my joy cannot be taken away from me. And that's a small thing. That's an irritation I know that, that all of us are walking through things, but to say in the middle of that, I am eternally loved by God and nothing can separate me from him, not even this thing, that can, that can bring real joy. It's not going to change things immediately. might not change them ever, but it can bring you joy. We can have joy in obedience. And this sounds counterintuitive, but that's how Jesus rolls, okay? <laughs> if it doesn't make sense, that doesn't mean it's not what he was trying to help us see, right? Jesus says that when we love him, we'll walk in obedience and that we'll actually experience joy when we give, when we serve, when we sacrifice, when we lay down things in our lives that we think will bring us joy, but Jesus calls us to lay them down, we can actually receive joy. We can experience joy. When we love, it can bring us joy. It's because we're doing what we were made to do. It's because we're, we're living in the way that God has designed us. Last thing, we're done here. John, Jesus says in verses 23 and 24, here's how you can actively hunt for joy. You can seek for joy. He says, ask God, pray. Ask him in, the name, in my name, and he will give you what you're asking for because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done for us. We can, we can acknowledge and admit and confess, I don't have joy I don't like obeying you. The gospel doesn't seem that impressive to me right now. Would you please give me joy? Would you please help me to have a soft heart, a heart of flesh? Pray. Ask God for joy. How many of you are not experiencing joy, but you haven't asked for it from from the Father? 
It's not a magic pill. It's not an incantation, but it's Jesus' invitation. Here's how you can find a full joy. Ask for it. Seek the Lord. So trust in mystery. Pour out your heart in sorrow. And walk in joy and pray to walk in all of that. How, how can we live this out? How can we walk it out? Let's pray. Father, once again, we could, we could pray this all day. We, we don't fully find our joy in you. We're constantly, our head is on a swivel. We're looking for joy in other places. We're looking for satisfaction and happiness and things, um, things that you may have given us Uh, But they're not you. And so in this moment, in this time that we have, would you, Holy Spirit, be calling us back to Jesus to find our joy in him, to, to believe the gospel as it relates to the circumstances that we're in, to lay down our questions and our sorrows before you and to pour them out and to, to seek you, to look for joy in you. Would you revive our hearts, Lord Jesus? And would you continue to help us as we respond in worship together to find our joy in you? We love you and pray in your beautiful name. Amen.